welcome to the Onside Kick Family Hour. I'm your host, Ryan Van Biver. With me, as always, Stephen White. Hey, Stephen, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic. How about you? Man, I tell you what, I'm in, I'm in good shape. I am ensconced in the Mall of America here. It's a mall, but it's big. And uh, there's really like big. four stories. I just learned the other day there's actually four <laughs> stories here. So. Yeah, it's like, uh, you know, the Mall of America is like uh, Brock, the Brock Osweiler of malls. You just keep talking about how big it is, you know, how tall it is. <laughs> it oh, it's got four part. stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's huge. But, but it's just a bunch of the same stores, basically. Yeah, I'll tell you what, you know what the most disappointing, like I've been coming over here pretty early in the morning to kind of get post up, get a good seat and get in the media rooms, just, you know, so I can kind of get some work done while it's quiet. And, like, I came over this morning. I'm like, man, I'm going to get breakfast at Chick-fil-A because there's a Chick-fil-A right upstairs. I'm like, if I'm going to be in the mall, I might as well take advantage of the various mall things they got to offer. And I go upstairs to get a biscuit, and I'll be damned if the place isn't closed. They don't serve breakfast at the Chick-fil-A here. So it's like, well, that's wow. a strike against you. Wow. What a waste of a, a Chick-fil-A. That's kind of, I mean, like, who wants the point? only Chick-fil-A? Yeah. What's the point, you know? Yeah, that's that's crazy. Uh, it's it's the twenty eight to three of restaurant having. Yes, yeah, that's not good. <laughs> I mean, come on, Mall of America, you're supposed to be, you know, a big deal. It's supposed to be the main attraction, and you don't have a biscuit at your Chick Fil A. You don't get biscuits. I mean, it's come crazy. on, it's absolutely crazy. Hey, all right, so so obviously this is Super Bowl week, but. Uh, it was weird that we had kind of a, a pretty big piece of NFL news that's not, well, outside of an arrest or anything like that, that's not related to the Super Bowl happened this week. I figure we better hit on that pretty quick, but uh, the, the Alex Smith trade, where, did that catch you by surprise? Oh, it definitely did. I think it caught most people by surprise, it, but it just happened to be the first domino in yeah. uh, quarterback shuffle this offseason. We know that, or at least we think, in this free agent class, Kirk Cousins is going to be the ball of the the bell of the ball. I should say. Oh yeah. Uh, He he, he's the guy that kind of he's he's got all the interest, and then uh, the rest of the dominoes we thought will fall after that. But uh, uh, Washington, I think they knew, and we've talked about this for a couple of years now. They knew that they didn't see him as the long term answer. Yeah. That's why they kept renting them for a year on, on the uh, uh, the franchise tag. But this year it was going to be so exorbitant that they couldn't do that again. And yeah. so uh, it was very smart on their part, I thought, because, you know, people would debate about whether it's an upgrade or not. But that's really not the point. The point is it's about a push, yeah. right? Uh, some people will argue it's an upgrade. Some people might say it's a minor downgrade, but it's pretty close to the same guy, but yeah. you're going to get him for so much cheaper than you will be able to get Kirk Cousins. So for them, it's just kind of a swap out, but now you can use that cap room to sign some other guys that you might need. The thing that, that pushed it over the top in the favor of the Chiefs, however, and we still don't know for sure because for all we know, Pat Mahomes really isn't ready. Yeah. But, but if he is, then the thing that pushes it over the top is – Washington included Kendall Fuller, yeah. the, the, the good young cornerback. And, you know, they've been trying to find a cornerback opposite Marcus Peters for a couple of years now. 
And they even went so far as to sign Revis uh, at the end of the season. But this guy can kind of shore up that position for them. Uh, I don't. I, th- I think he's still on his rookie contract, so I'm not sure if he's going to get a big payday anyway. Yeah. So, it, it, you know, now they they uh, don't have to worry about the big contract for Fuller. They don't have to worry about paying uh, Alex Smith a whole lot of money, which they probably weren't going to do anyway. They got Mahomes on a rookie contract, and now maybe they can be players in free agency at some other uh, 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 positions too. But, you know, it's a push quarterback-wise, but Washington got worse on defense because they had to give up Fuller in the trade. And and ultimately, that's the worst thing you could do because the whole reason why you want to cut your quarterback salary is so you can add some talent on defense, yeah. and then you end up giving up a guy, a young guy, uh, uh, in a trade to try to get that push. So that's why I see it kind of as – the, the Chiefs coming out ahead, but still, that is, again, that's all going to depend on how, how Pat Mahomes plays next year and really how Alex Smith plays. If Alex Smith goes and lights it up and Washington's in, you know, the NFC Championship game or something and the Chiefs fall back with Mahomes, then maybe we'll revisit that then. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is interesting. I mean, I, I guess, too, to, to me, the timing was was strange, but I I mean, I guess they just felt like they could maybe, and I haven't, I've been sort of, I mean, it's weird to be in the, in the middle of Super Bowl week and kind of be out of touch with some of the stuff that's not related to the Super Bowl. But, like, I wondered a little bit if maybe they just felt like they had to make this trade now because they didn't want to wait it out until they cut him and, and take their chances in a bidding war or something like that. But I thought the timing was pretty interesting of it, too. Right. It, it was definitely interesting. I, I, I think the motivation for the Chiefs was Kendall Fuller. Yeah. They felt oh, yeah. like, you know, yeah. if we don't make this trade right now, somebody else might sneak in the back door and do the same thing with their quarterback, who's around, you know, the same talent level of, of Kirk Cousins. Yeah. Uh, from Washington's standpoint, it's one of those things where uh, I think they didn't want to be just another domino in the line. You know what I mean? They didn't want to wait to see who was left after Kirk Cousins goes away in free agency and some of the other quarterbacks come off the board. So they were big. They were able to, when you think about it, a guy who wasn't really technically available yet, they were able to go ahead and get that guy before he would hit the market and make sure that they got a close, a close, you know, simulation of Kirk Cousins as they could get. In this season, as far as guys that we know are going to be available, there might be some surprise cuts, too, later on. But for right now, you'd have to say Alex Smith behind Kirk Cousins is kind of the the, the the class of the quarterbacks that were expected to be available this spring anyway. Yeah. And so they were able to get that guy. I think they paid maybe, maybe a little too much for him. Yeah. But at least they know now, hey, we swapped out a guy who can at least be as good for us in different ways, maybe, but as good for us overall as Kirk has been for them the last couple of seasons. And, of course, let's not forget that it's not like the, uh, the Super Bowl the last couple of years when they've been paying Kirk Cousins all this money. So yeah. now maybe they can build a team up around Alex Smith and, and, and do the same thing. I just think they didn't want to wait it out and end up, you know, maybe <laughs> with a Blake Bortles instead. <laughs> so... so uh, I, I understand that, but again, I think they may have overpaid a little bit 
uh, uh, trying to make this move in the first place. Yeah. I, you know, you mentioned Blake Bortles, and, and I saw something this week that I hope is just one of those things that, you know, the teams and, and front office people say to be nice in the offseason and not, like, stir the pot in February. But uh, I saw that report where the Jaguars m- might end up keeping Blake Bortles. And I thought, oh, please don't let Duval County suffer anymore with another, another year of Blake Bortles. Right, but remember now, I told you it, that it could possibly yeah, happen yeah, because yeah. Jacksonville was really slapping themselves on the back and patting themselves on the back once they won that first playoff game. Yeah, They're like, oh, see, who's crazy now for sticking yeah. with Blake Bortles, <laughs> right? And kind of puffing their chest out. And these are analytics guys. So yeah. for them, we are football guys. So we look at it from, look, they could do so much better with a better quarterback than Blake Bortles. But from there, just purely analytical look at it, they might say, well, hell, we were able to do this with a quarterback as shitty as Blake Bortles. We should be able to do it again. Yeah. Maybe just add a few pieces around him, but we can keep Blake Bortles, not break the bank for him, but we show we can muddle through with him and get to uh, the AFC Championship game and almost win it. Yeah. So maybe we don't need to go out there and try to throw money at, at, at an unknown when we've seen Blake Bortles for the last, what, four years now? Yeah. And they feel comfortable with him. Now, that sounds crazy to you <laughs> because you're probably a football person listening to this. Yeah, yeah. Listening to this, right? You're a guy who's like, okay, we well, obviously you can do better than Blake Bortles, but I have a funny feeling for analytics guys, it ain't so much about whether you could do better than Blake Bortles. It's whether you, whether you can do good enough with Blake Bortles and just surrounding him with a little bit more talent. Yeah. So, look, don't be surprised. I know a lot of people think this is just coach speak or uh, they're just saying it because they have to say it this early in the offseason. But I'm just telling you, I remember distinctly feeling like, uh-oh, when they were patting themselves on the back and, and puffing their chest up, see, who's crazy now? Y'all are. Yeah. Y'all got lucky. But let's make no mistake here. Y'all still were crazy for going with Blake Bortles. <laughs> Especially when you had other quarterbacks out there, <coughs> Colin Kaepernick, <coughs> out there on the street. Yeah, so maybe you could have won the Super Bowl this year. Okay. But in their minds, they may be thinking, well, hey, we got this far with Blake Bortles. Maybe we can keep continue to get this far with Blake Bortles if we just add a few pieces around him. And really, how when's the last time a, a, a quarterback – got that close to getting to the Super Bowl, got that close to winning an AFC Championship game, and get replaced in the offseason. I, I can't imagine it happened yeah. that many times in NFL history. Yeah. I, you know, I, I hope at least they have the sense to bring in, like, you know, a, a sensible backup. Like, somebody that could, like, step in and, you know what I mean, if they get in a situation where they can, you have a better replacement for him than Chad. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's like, you know, maybe they – the Teddy Bridgewater situation is going to be interesting because, I, you know, I suspect a lot of teams aren't going to be willing to give him a big contract just because of the way his knee is and, and not, you know, he hadn't played really any meaningful football for two years. So, you know, that's probably a more of a prove-it deal. That might be a good situation for a guy like that where you can kind of like, well, we we can't go any further with portals and it's only October, so maybe we can swap it out and have a viable replacement in the can to go. We'll see. We'll see. And the thing is, if you are a viable candidate, 
why would you ever go to the Jags knowing they're going to start Blake Bortles in front of you? Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, they might throw a ton of money at a guy like uh, Teddy Bridgewater. But if Teddy has an opportunity to go to a different team where they'll at least say he's in competition for the number one job, yeah. I have to imagine he would want to go there yeah. rather than going to the Jags knowing that you're going to start this <laughs> this terrible quarterback in front of me just yeah. because. <laughs> so, uh yeah, I don't see that working out well for them because they're going to end up getting, you know, the scrap heap of backups. They're going to get yeah. up, end up getting the guy that nobody else wants. Yeah. And you're pretty much going to be in the same situation next year as you are this year. So it's very interesting. I definitely don't think it's the right move for them to stay with Blake Bortles. All I'm saying is you might want to prepare for the fact that they will do it because I, I, I got a sneaky suspicion, man. I'm telling you. And we mentioned it. We really did mention yeah. on oh, our yeah. podcast seeing that stuff because we were like, um, <laughs> are they serious right now? You know, there was a lot of gloating for, you know, a guy like Blake Bortles who normally nobody's gloating about at all. Yeah. So, it, I mean, it, the, the thing of it is that that will make the whole domino, uh, that will kind of jumble up those dominoes too. Yeah. Because a lot of people are expecting – Jacksonville to be in the market for a quarterback. Yeah. Now, maybe they take one in the first round. You know, those guys don't really have a choice. <laughs> yeah. But as far as being in the free agent market, I think a lot of people expect them to be in the free agent market for a quarterback this season. And if they're not, then the teams that are are going to be, you know, they're going to be a little bit more cutthroat because there's only so many quarterbacks to go around anyway. Yeah. All I know is that, you know, anyone but Blake Bortles, it'd probably be the Jaguars here this week. And, and we could be listening to Jalen Ramsey at the podium instead of the the practice and polished talking points from the Patriots. So <laughs> here we right. are. It, it could have been so so much more fun, right? It's so much more fun. Um, oh, yeah. But, but hey, here, like I said, here we are. And, and uh, as the great Ric Flair said, you ain't got to like it. <laughs> <laughs> Whether you like it or don't like it, you got to sit back and watch it because they're the best going today. The, the, the Patriots really are. You, yeah. you have to just tip your hats for them, whether you like them or not. Absolutely. Uh, you know, speaking of talking to the teams this week, I'll tell you one thing that's really been interesting to me and and is that, like, they, you, you know, they do that media night thing that's kind of goofy, but um, – and then, and then, like, the, the sessions throughout the week. And I know that stuff gets to be hell for the players to have to go in and answer the same questions day after day after day after day like that. But I, it's funny to see how the Patriots set, like, there's more of a crowd for the Patriots. And obviously for Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. But, like, the whole room in general is way more crowded for the Patriots. A lot more people there. And they're really rote. They're really polished. They're not saying a lot. They're not really... You know, they're, this is just sort of like, I mean, it's almost like a drill. You know what I mean? They go in, they, you get the sense that this is just sort of another football drill for them, the same way you'd, you know, catch them off the jugs machine or, 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 you know, do some Oklahomas after practice or whatever. But like, then you see the Eagles and they're loose and they're having fun and they're talking and there's no crowds, so to speak. I mean, relatively speaking, for a crowded week. But, you know, you can get right up. And t- I sat and talked to Brandon Graham for probably 25 minutes one-on-one yesterday about like i mean we were in the scope of things to talk about literally gotten to like arm moves and stuff so it was just like it's so funny to see 
how different it is but the two teams and then the interest levels in the two teams too right i, I mean like you said for, for the patriots this, really this is like a drill for them they, yeah. they're used to it yeah the eagles not so much no. so they do have uh legarrett blunt and, and i think they have a couple other guys that have chris long that's that's won a super bowl before so they do have yeah uh some super bowl uh background on the team experience on the team but for the most part these are just young guys playing yeah and so i hope that they are enjoying the ride uh because whether they win or lose the game on sunday uh they're one of the few teams that ever get to go to the super bowl this team those guys those particular guys i one of the few teams that ever get to do that i never got to do it in my career in seven years yeah i came close one time but you know close on account and horseshoes so (laughs) Uh, I hope those guys are enjoying the ride and, and not being robots. The, the Patriots, those guys, we know Bill ain't going to let them say nothing. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're going to have to say every, keep everything uh, very dry. Uh, but sometimes, man, you, you want guys not to trash talk or anything, but just be loose and not feel like they're walking around on eggshells. Yeah. So, um, yeah. It, you know, if it was me, I probably would want to talk to the Eagles players more just because I assume they're going to be a little bit freer with their words than the Patriots. Yeah, absolutely. And that's been the case. And, too, you know, and that kind of ties into something else. And Thomas talked to a lot of these guys about it and wrote about it yesterday. But it's kind of funny how, you know, in a season where the word distraction got talked about a lot and, you know, and teams not wanting those distractions in the locker room, it's really not uh, having players active in, uh, in social causes hasn't been a distraction at all for the Eagles. In fact, you had a lot of players – saying it made the locker room a little bit of a stronger place because of that. Absolutely. Uh, and, and we all know that it was bullshit anyway. Oh, yeah. Uh, people, people always, if you want to blame something, you'll find a way. Oh, yeah. Uh, but it, it is very ironic that in a year where people made all these claims about uh, the protests and the kneeling and what it was doing to team chemistry and stuff of that nature, that uh, a guy like Malcolm Jenkins is on the Eagles. He didn't kneel, but he had his fist up in the air most of the season. Yeah. A guy like Chris Long that that came over and, and put his hand on a guy, well, you know, just supported the, the players protesting. Uh, and, you know, and those guys weren't distracted at all. Hell, if, if Carson Wentz was playing, I would probably pick them to win this game, yeah. quite honestly. Yeah. Uh, those guys were rolling until he got hurt. And guess what? They still found a way to continue winning after he went down. Yeah. And so you can take that uh, uh, comment, those comments about distractions and just shove them up your ass. Yeah. The Eagles are literally uh, uh, the prime example of that just being a whole bunch of bullshit. Yeah, absolutely. You never heard anything about their chemistry hurting at all. The whole season, yeah, and that and that's a, a diverse team, yeah. So uh, yeah, it just it just proves that people just say that kind of shit to try to get people to shut up, yeah. And it's oh, not yeah. going to work anymore. Yeah, it's just and it's a lazy narrative too. I mean, you know, you see that with media. It's it's that you know elite quarterback kind of thing. It's just sort of a lazy label that it's you easy to slap on stuff and, and not have to, you know think too deeply or probe too deeply about the issues that are, you know, actually the issues we ought to be talking about. And it's worth noting, too, that, you know, here we are this week in the Super Bowl and this week with, you know, you look at kind of the the news outside of the sports world and, and kind of things are kind of 
going a little crazy. It's worth pointing out here, Colin Kaepernick fulfilled his promise to donate a million dollars. And uh, he, he did it this week, and he gave to a lot of good causes, and he he's continues to give, and he continues to support. He continues to support those causes and do what he says he was going to do. And I think that's pretty damn honorable. Oh, it, it, it is very honorable. And, and, and more to the point, he didn't just give the money. The money really was only to get people's yeah. attention. Yeah, He gave the money... But it's where he gave the money to and yes. where he gave his time to over this last year that's really been most remarkable. Yeah. He didn't just give one lump sum to some random uh, 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 charity just to say he could do it. Yeah. He was very meticulous in picking the different uh, uh, groups that he chose to support. And not only that, uh, in, in the recent months, I'm not sure how long he's been doing this, but he's been getting other celebrities to match his donation. So along with the $1 million dollars, that he has donated, there's been a lot more money that people he's gotten to match his donations have donated as well. So the impact overall on what he's been doing has been amazing. It's been way more than just a million dollars worth of activism that he's done in the last year. But that one million dollars is what gets people to pay attention and get, gets people to notice. But just look further than that, and you'll see that his impact has been way, way deeper than just a million dollars yeah. that he gave himself and the money that he brought in from his, his other celebrities. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting to see that. And, you know, and I think that ultimately, you know, for some of the ugly things that were said and are still being said, it really, I mean, I think it's forced people who otherwise wouldn't have thought about those issues to think about those issues, to think about the way police treat black and brown people in this country and the way, you know, it, it, the different world that kids growing up black and brown communities face in America. And then that's just, it's just not an acceptable thing. And, and more, the, the fact in the end that more people have thought about that and more people hopefully are committed to, to doing something about it. I mean, I think it's a positive impact. Without a doubt. And, and, and we won't even know what kind of things have for no. for years and years down the road. You know, we know that there are high school kids even yeah. that have participated in the protests that are now more socially active and socially aware. And you got all these different movements, some of which that Kaepernick gave to directly, some of which that he inspired, that are also doing the work now, trying to do police reform yeah. and stuff of that nature. And the thing of it is, with this social media era, era where everything's online, Look, there's videos coming out every single week. There's always some kind of story. Right now, there's a crazy story in Baltimore uh, of yeah. police officers who were robbing drug dealers, who were killing people, who were doing all kind of crazy stuff. And now this kind of stuff is coming to the forefront and people are paying attention more and they're actually trying to do something. Like, it, it's not just uh, the protest itself. It's the offspring of it. It's yeah. the fruits of it that, to me, I think are so impressive. Because, again, we don't even know how far reaching this is yet. He yeah. spawned so many other conversations. I know he and uh, uh, the other guys, Eric Reed, those guys kind of broke away from the Players Coalition. And I can definitely understand why. But even that, that didn't start until Kaepernick started sitting down and then eventually took a knee. Absolutely. Right. And then eventually the Players Coalition comes up with uh, the money donated from the NFL. 
And yeah. again, I understand why that money is still a drop in the bucket, but it's still doing something. Yeah. And so just just it all started in this sense with Kaepernick sitting down in the preseason. Yep. And then kneeling the rest of the season amid everybody criticizing him, death threats, all kind of stuff, and eventually being blackballed in the all season, yeah. missing a whole year of football. But that guy gave all that up to inspire pretty much this whole deal when you're talking about uh, especially athletes being more more socially active and, and speaking up and speaking out yeah. about these issues. Martellius Bennett being more uh, 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 talking more about it and, and, and his brother Michael yeah. Bennett talking more about these kind of issues. You know, and so it's kind of like help people find help athletes specifically find their voice in this whole uh, conversation. Yeah. And so I just think it's so impressive that he's also up for the uh, Wizard White Award. Yeah. Even though he didn't play at all this season, yeah. he's up for, uh, uh, you know, basically it's one of those Man of the Year type awards, uh, the, the Brian uh, Wizard White Award for the NFL. Yeah. And, and he's definitely uh, uh, deserving of that. I don't know if he'll win, but he's definitely deserving of that honor, man. It's just the more you actually think about not just the impact of what Kaepernick did, but what he gave up, knowing yeah. what was coming. I mean, you just haven't seen anything like this in a very long time. Yeah. And hopefully it inspires more people to put their career on the line to speak up for what's right. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, this is about right and wrong. Yeah. And we need more people to get on the side of right. Yeah, and less absolutely. people on the side of them. Absolutely. All right, Stephen. Um, I hear there's a game this week. That's what they say. <laughs> I've seen it on the schedule somewhere in between all the uh, all the invitations to <laughs> media sessions and press conferences and uh, giant sandwich unveilings and all that other kind of stuff they're doing this week. But yeah, there is a game that's going to happen this week, and. This morning, we published my, my favorite thing we do every year for the Super Bowl, Stephen White's massive Super Bowl preview slash prediction piece. How, how, how much film did you watch for that thing? Um, I watched about five games uh, for each team, uh, and then I watched other games, like specific things I was looking, I was mm-hmm. looking for. Um, and... and, and you know, you don't want to watch too much because right. it's just for a 16-game season, man, you'll see all kind of stuff and they'll have your eyes glazed over. But generally, <laughs> five games can always give you kind of an idea of what a team has faced, what, what kind of adjustments they make, what kind of things they do well, what kind of things they do poorly. And that's what I was looking for. I, you know, I kind of look from the eyes of a defensive coordinator anyway. I'm always looking – for deficiencies in the offense and deficiencies in the way the defense is playing and how teams attack them. And so that's kind of how I approach this, um, looking at all the film for both teams. And then, of course, with uh, the Eagles, I had to focus a little bit more on the last few games because of Nick Foles being the guy instead of Carson Wentz. And they obviously run the offense differently uh, with Foles in there. But uh, it, it was very interesting just to see some of the things in the in the post. For example, I, I talk about how several teams actually use the oop-de-oop for, formation, yes. 
And if you're familiar with Varsity Blues and Jonathan Moxon, you know all about the oop dude, right? But yeah. you don't see many teams uh, lining up with four receivers on one side or motioning to four receivers on one side and leaving one guy backside, let alone seeing them be successful with it. But there were several teams that not only ran it, but they actually had some pretty good plays out of it as well. Yeah. And so stuff like that, I'm like, when, when, you, when you think about putting together a game plan for the Super Bowl, you're looking for all of the stuff that worked against your opponent and, and kind of trying to exit out all stuff that did. And so I could see that being just a little part of the Eagles. Like, they're like, well, this worked yeah. uh, several times when it was run, and, and maybe they haven't fixed whatever was wrong uh, with that coverage before. Yeah. And so it's just little tidbits like that. But overall, you're just kind of trying to get a sense of each team. Yeah. What they do well, what they do poorly, um, and what – where do you think, you know, the strengths and weaknesses line up against each other? Yeah. Like, you know, when you're looking at the Patriots defense, for example, their strength, what is their strength and what does it match up best with against the Eagles offense? Yeah. Versus what are their weaknesses and how do I think the Eagles will try to attack those weaknesses? Yeah. And so when you put that all together, you kind of get a feel for how each team can win a game. Yeah. And for me, just to be honest with you, um, the way I came up with the winner, uh, it was a little harder than a lot of people might think because I think a lot of people are picking the Patriots just because they're the fucking Patriots, so yeah. I get it. But for me, it was like I saw plenty of ways that the Eagles could win, but they all involved Nick Foles having a big game, Yeah, basically. Like I could see the ways that the Patriots – could win even if Brady was off a little bit because he's hardly ever off for a whole game. Yeah. But you know, he's he'll be off for a first half sometimes. Again, 28 to 3. Y'all already know <laughs> yeah. what I'm talking about. But then he roars back in the second half, right? Yeah. And so I can see a way to win that way. I can see a way if the defense is struggling a little bit, they can win that way. But for me, the Eagles, no matter whatever else happens, even if the defense plays out of their damn mind, I still feel like Nick Foles has to have a big day for them to win. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it came down to whether I think he can he can replicate his success against Minnesota. Yeah. Because honestly, I didn't see that shit coming. The way he played against Minnesota, it, I'd have bet everything I own and I'd have been homeless, shirtless, and drawsless <laughs> if I had bet before that game about how Nick Foles played. Because he came out with the fucking blowtorch against the Vikings. And they tore that ass up. Yeah. So, you know, in, in theory, he could do that again. And if he does, a lot of people going to be sick that bet on the Patriots. Because I'm telling you, if he can take advantage of all the opportunities against the Patriots the way he did against the Vikings, the Eagles have an excellent chance of winning because they do have a really good defense. Yeah. And their special teams are good as well. Yeah. But, you got to believe that he can play the, just the same on the biggest stage in football with all the hype surrounding him and two weeks for Bill Belichick to prepare for him. And it's probably been more than two weeks. You know, Belichick is such a uh, perfectionist. He's probably been studying film of all the potential Super Bowl matchups for weeks. Oh, yeah. You just never know what that guy. So at this point, he knows Nick Foles in and out. And so I just don't see a way – that he's going to replicate that success. But if he does, if he plays the way he played against Minnesota, 
I think the Vikings have a. I mean, I think the Eagles have an excellent chance to win. I just don't see it happening. I just don't see a way. I can't feel comfortable believing that he's gonna do that without actually having seen it. I just yeah. don't trust it. Yeah. Right. Every look, the broken clocks, the dog, the, the sun shines <laughs> on the dog ass someday. You look. There are some times where, where it's just kind of happenstance. A guy just gets hot and plays well. Yeah. But you're going to have to do it more than one game for, for me to believe in you. And I've seen Tom Brady do this way too many times to bet against him in this, in this situation. Yeah. If it was another way that they could win without Nick Foles playing well, then I'd have picked the Eagles. Because I really do think, look, you talk about – the Patriots defense. And I didn't put this in the uh, piece, but it's the truth. Everybody wants to say, oh, that defense improved so much in the second half of the season <laughs> or after week five. And their scoring defense was number five in the league. First of all, okay, they're, they're, as far as yardage, they still gave up a ton of yardage. And as far as the scoring defense goes, in the last eight games, they didn't face but one team, one team. That's above the top 22 in scoring offense anyway. Yeah. And that team happened to be the Steelers. Yeah. And the Steelers, if we, if they'd have counted that uh, touchdown at the end that they said a guy who had the ball enough to stretch it out didn't have control, they'd have scored 31 points on the Patriots. Yeah. Miami, who, who beat them in the upset at home in week 14, I think they were like 23rd in the league in scoring offense. And they still still scored 24 points. So if you have Carson Wentz in the game, or if you have uh, Nick Foles light it up like he did against Minnesota, that defense can still be scored uh, against relatively easy. They aren't a top five scoring defense for real. Like they didn't they didn't <laughs> face a whole bunch of top ten offenses and shut them down. They shut down the Jets, okay, and Buffalo <laughs> yeah. and those kind of teams. Right. And I'm not hating. That is just a fact. You go back and look at it. And the last eight weeks, they shut down teams that were below top 20 in offense and scoring. Yeah. So that's, it is what it is. But the, the, for the Eagles to be successful, they have to have a quarterback that's going to pull the trigger against the, uh, uh, the Patriots. You're going to have to hit them deep a few times, too, to keep them honest. They're going to try all these trap coverages and shit. And the way you get them out of that is you hit them over the top. You got yeah. Torrey Smith. You got Alshon Jeffrey. Hell, you even got uh, Nelson Aguilar that can get up the field in the herd. Yeah. But if Nick Foltz doesn't hit those guys, it's going to be all for naught. And even in the Minnesota game, if you remember, he missed Torrey Smith on a couple balls in. Yeah. Under through. But the one he hit him on is like, whoa, that was nice. <laughs> the one he hit Alshon on, even though Alshon – Look to be wide open. That was a hell of a long throw in those situations, in, in, in those conditions, and everything. So, and I think he had to kind of scramble it before he threw that ball anyway. Yeah. So, he showed in the Minnesota game that he has the ability to hit those plays, but he's going to have to hit them for the Eagles to have success on Sunday. And I, that's just too much pressure. I just don't believe that Nick Foles is going to be able to do it. Yeah. Maybe he'll surprise all of us. And if he does, like I said, the Eagles have an excellent chance. But I just, I don't see it. You put it all together, Bill Belichick with, with two weeks to prepare for him, I, I don't see how it happens. I, yeah, for sure. And, and 
it's interesting, you know, you, you talked about the oop de plays and the piece you talk about the RPOs that they have kind of made, the Eagles have made that sort of a household household term for a lot of football fans this season. And, and you know, the plays like that. Their offensive line, I mean, they have a really good offensive line, but it's just such, like, all those, all those things have to just kind of go off to a T for this, you know, for that, for Nick Foles to play that way. Right, and, and 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 the thing about it is, I talk about how you can have a wrinkle off the RPO after you've had success with them for a while. Yeah. Maybe you can have a sluggo route and, and get down the field that way. But by and large, those RPOs are not chunk plays. Yeah. Normally, they're just plays to kind of move the chains or get you eight to ten yards, right? Yeah. And you, yeah. I just don't see Nick Foles being able to march them down the field just with that. You know what yeah. I mean? He's going to have to hit some deep balls. Yeah. He's gonna have to. Yeah. Otherwise, they're going they're definitely gonna start jumping those slants. Yeah. And look, yeah. if if they get it, it's gonna be to the house. It's gonna be a house call because it's gonna be a safety running in the opposite direction of all the people <laughs> on offense. Basically, all he's gonna have to do is beat the offensive lineman, and, and then it's a touchdown. Yeah. So uh, if he can't back them off and make them respect the deep ball. Why wouldn't you try to jump those routes anyway? Because if they keep throwing them, you're going to get frustrated. And you just say, fuck it, we're going to rob those routes yeah. and get underneath it and pick it off and take it to the house. Yeah. And, or, or he'll look and he won't throw it and he'll get sacked because there's nowhere else to go with the football with those RPOs. That's, that's the danger of RPOs is yeah. that it's not like if those initial guys are, are covered that you're going to scramble around and, and find a, another guy or something or just move up in the pocket. That RPO, you don't have a whole lot of protection with that. You got just long enough to be able to hit those slants and stuff. Yeah. So if, if those aren't open, if they start jumping those routes, what's Nick Foles going to do? Yeah. I do. Well, we got a few more minutes left here. I do. I want to get your thoughts on how the Eagles defense. I mean, what does the Eagles defense have to do in this game? So they already have Fletcher Cox in there, right? And, and he's a big boy, and he run through uh, most offensive guards, or he can run around him. That, that's kind of the unique thing about him. He's a big, huge guy, but he's still very nimble. Yeah. Um, but to me, it's not enough to have him just pass rushing well. I feel like with, with Tom Brady, uh, he likes to step up in the pocket. He likes to be able to follow through on his throws. So what you really need is to push – the middle of the pocket back on him. Uh, everybody talks about you need to rush inside, you need to rush the middle. And, and I do expect the, the, the Eagles to do some of that with their blisters and stuff. Yeah. But when they don't do that, you need those two inside guys not working arm overs and stuff like that that's going to take them sideways and give Brady passing lanes. You need those guys pushing the pocket right back into his lap where he's got to throw over them. If he throws anything short, he has to throw their arms, and Fletcher Cox is pretty good at getting his hands up. Yeah. And, you know, he's not going to have anywhere to slide up to. So those edge rushers like Chris Long and and, and, and uh, uh, Brandon Graham and Vinny Curry and, and uh, Derek Barnett, those guys can go ahead and burn it around the corner and still be able to get to him because he won't have anywhere to step up. Yeah. Now, the thing of it is, uh, Fletcher Cox, who's one of your best pass rushers, May not be able to get a whole lot of sacks himself or a whole lot of pressures himself, but he can keep Brady from having anywhere to go. And I also mentioned that I thought it would be a good idea this game to have Tim Jernigan stay in for some passing down. Yeah. Because 
because he's a big, strong guy who can push the pocket back too. Normally, they kick in Brandon Graham uh, inside, or they'll kick in uh, uh, Vinny Curry inside and have those guys rush alongside uh, uh, Fletcher Cox in the middle. But I think this is a game where you need a guy like Jernigan, who, even if he's double teamed, can keep pushing, pushing the guard and center back to where Brady won't have where to go and then you just have to rely on those those guys on the edge to be able to bring them home and, and take them down so uh, it'll be interesting to see what approach they take i do like i said i do expect them to blitz a whole lot too uh i actually feel like when the uh patriots go to an empty set with trips on one side and two guys on the other uh and they're on the hash i think they're susceptible for uh for a blitz from the boundary anyway because yeah. the center tends to slide to the field every time uh not every single time but most of the time he slides to the field and brady won't really see because he tends to look towards the field too when he's dropping back he probably won't even see a blitz coming that way i've seen i saw a couple of teams do it i think uh miami did it to, to good effect and you just have that slot corner who's on the inside receiver into the boundary just have that guy come and you won't even, and Brady might not even see him coming. And like I said, that defense is stout. They are outstanding. They have a good chance to disrupt and slow down that offense. But at some point, if their offense isn't scoring, if the Eagles' offense isn't scoring, I just think they're going to get worn down. But yeah. Fletcher Cox is a huge key for them in this game. It, you know, he has to push the pocket all the time and get Brady to move laterally instead of stepping up in the pocket. If you see Brady stepping up in the pocket a lot, they're having a bad game. If you see him going sideways and then those edge rushers taking him down or getting pressures on him, then you know they're getting a good push up in the middle. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, it's a good piece. I'm interested. I mean, I hope that. I mean, I, I hope that you know at least we get. Uh, <laughs> we we're not, we might not get a 28 to three situation this year, but I hope we at least get a good game. I'm looking forward to it. If you haven't read it yet, go check it out. Go read Steven's big preview breakdown of this game. Um, it's it's the most important Super Bowl thing you're going to be reading this week. So go check that out. Um, it's it's uh, and then and keep that and keep that uh, keep that handy for Sunday because I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at uh, at, at how prescient these things have really proven to be over the last three years. Even and you got to and we have to say, I mean, you got to pair it with the podcast because last year. The prediction piece, <laughs> you, we we you pretty much called. I mean, not the twenty-eight to three specifically, but you know, that sort of same scenario. We discussed that. I remember it this time last year. Yep, I I, I said that the, the Falcons <laughs> were going to jump all over the Patriots and get out to a big lead on them in in my in my Super Bowl prediction piece. But then I came back on the podcast, and you know, the more I thought about, it, I was like, yeah, but if the Patriots make it a game in the second half. Can't trust Matt Ryan, and that's that's the caveat I had to give last year. Can't trust Matt Ryan. If I had one this year, it'd be can't trust Nick Foles. So you know, if by some reason I do think it's going to be close into the fourth quarter. So yeah. if the Eagles have it close, one of the reasons why they ultimately you know, the 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 Patriots will pull away, I think, is Nick Foles will make some big mistakes. Yeah. Uh, obviously, it could go the other way. It could be. We know that Brady has made some mistakes too before. He hasn't won every Super Bowl he's been in, so it's possible to beat them. 
But yeah. I just feel like when it's close at the end, it'll be, be Nick Foles who probably makes the big mistake, and then they start to pull away. So. Yeah. And that's the thing with a team like the Patriots. It really only takes one mistake, and they just they just jump all over you. You know, it's a uh, they're like a they're like a slick Philadelphia lawyer. <laughs> it's like it's like an avalanche. Like you a score, <laughs> especially like like say for instance. Uh, the whole halftime against uh, the Jaguars. Yeah. Jaguars get a first down, don't get the first down because uh, the, the clock runs out. They end up having to punt. Then here, you just almost knew. Yep, here comes the Patriots. Yeah. Go down and score. Come back in the second half, score again. And it's like, oh, hell, here we go again. <laughs> I felt this before. But, the, but that's the way it is. Like, they are like an avalanche, man. They'll just kind of lay in wait and, 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 and it'll be muddling along, even get down. But when the avalanche starts, shit, it don't stop. It just keeps going. And you're like, oh, man, maybe we'll get a stop. Maybe we'll get a stop. Nope. Maybe we'll get a stop. Nope. And, and it just keeps going downhill. So, uh, uh, uh start early. Who knows? Yeah. But, if, like I said, right, right around the fourth quarter, that's that's a tiny tend to do. Whether they up or down, all of a sudden that offense just starts getting rolling. And you can tell that the defense doesn't have confidence because we've seen it before. And here comes Tom Brady. So we'll see how it works out. We will. And the big game, it's Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. So check it out. Um, We'll be back next week, and we can discuss the accuracy of the predictions. And, oh, we'll have some more stuff to talk about next week, too. The Hall of Fame stuff's coming up. That'll be interesting with Moss and T.O. both on the ballot this year. I think that should be a fun discussion, even if the – those jerks in the room do snub them again this year, but uh, we'll see what happens. And, uh, yeah, let's do it again next week. Can't wait.